Hey guys, I'm Turlove. And I'm Emerson. We co-host a podcast at UW called Red Square. Every other week, we stand on Red Square and have conversations with people who open up to us about love, discovery, surprise, and sometimes even whales. We believe that each person has a story, and in sharing them, we can build a little more empathy on our campus. So head over to uwpodcast.com and listen to Red Square. Welcome and thank you for joining us here once again at the Box Seat Podcast. I'm Josh Eddy. And I'm Caden Conger. And we're your guide to anything and everything college basketball related. Today is Friday, January 31st, and we'll be talking about who are some of this year's real contenders, UNC's tournament chances, and a new segment we are going to call Draft Spotlight. We'll be highlighting some of uh, Dayton's Obi Toppin. First, we got to start out with some rapid fire where we just go over the week's action. So, Josh, start us off. First, we head to Rally, where UNC gets a big win at NC State that will likely travel all the way to March. Don't count the heels out of the tournament play just yet. They have a lot of opportunities to get more quad one wins before the end of conference play. It's vital that Cole Anthony returns if this team wants to take down Duke, Louisville, and Florida State. Wisconsin led by 12 with 7 minutes left at Iowa, but couldn't shut the door as Iowa rolls back to win another home Big Ten game. Buzzcut Brad Davison came up empty-handed but close-fisted with another shot below the belt. These Badgers need a king to get them out of this funk, but unfortunately he just left for greener pastures. Sorry for interrupting you there, but Davison is scrappy. Shades of Grayson Allen with his repeat offenses. Tevin Mack brought the smack for the Clemson Tigers with 32 points in a last-second win over Syracuse. I haven't seen a run out that bad under Jim Beheim since he pissed his pants last year. Mack could be an all-ACC player this season. Braxton Key tried to go deep V for Virginia by ripping his jersey, but it turns out the key to this game was Mamadi Diakite going for 19-9 in the upset over number 5 Florida. Good job with the pronunciation there, Josh. The ACC has been chaos this year, and Florida State missed out on a big opportunity to separate from the pack. Ole Miss was running all over the Auburn Tigers, and the storm watch was on, but Bruce Pearls had other ideas, with his boys getting all the way to storm back and winning overtime. Once this team gets going, guards Javon McCormick and Samir Dowdy are hard to stop. In the Big East dogfight, it was the Bulldogs that had the Hoyas one more to cap off a nice bounce back week for Butler. Butler looks like they made it out of their rough patch unscathed and a better team because of it. Texas Tech bounces back with a much needed W over 12th ranked West Virginia in Lubbock. The two freshmen for the Red Raiders dropped 44 points in Tech's highest scoring game in Big 12 play. This win lifted Tech to third in the Big 12 behind just Baylor and Kansas. Maybe the worst high major team in the nation, Vanderbilt, gave Big Blue Nation a bit of a scare, up seven in the second half. But Kentucky said not today, Mr. Stackhouse, to win and rut by a score of 71 to 62. Kentucky is a team that could get hot in March. They really just need their freshmen to play better for that to happen. No Marcus Howard, no problem. The future All-American leaves the game with concussion and the Golden Eagles string together enough competent possessions to outlast Xavier and double OT and win the battle of the bubble teams. Marcus Howard and Marquette, they're a team who need to be in the tournament so Americans can see just how much talent Howard has. 
The Fighting Illini prevail in a down and dirty defensive rock fight with the Gophers. Andreas Feliz's 17 points off the bench lifted Illinois to its seventh straight win. My mother's alma mater, Illinois, they have a storied history, but they haven't been to the big dance since 2013. Maryland proved that it can once again win at home, pulling away late over Iowa thanks to Anthony Cowan's career-high 31 points in the 82-72 edge. And with Cowan playing better, he's starting to get more and more looks from NBA scouts. Late last night, there was an upset brewing for UCLA. McCrone had his guys working hard to get his first-ranked win of the season over Colorado. Don't look now, but UCLA has won three of its last four and is just a game out of third place in the Pac-12. Mick Cronin, as expected, is bringing the toughness and grit to UCLA. All right, wrap it up there with a little bit of a Pac-12 late last night. You guys may have missed that one, but so yeah, that's um, that was the rapid-fire recap. There's a lot of good games this past week. Yep. Um, not a lot of high-profile games really going into the week, but we got a few upsets, a few mm-hmm. big wins for some ACC teams like Virginia and UNC we'll get into, but... Yep. Uh, first, actually, we're going to jump into a little bit of, uh, it's the last podcast of January, which means, as we discussed last time, next month is February, then after that, it is March, and we know what happens it's in March. It's coming up. So, there, we're just, uh, just a couple short months away from a tournament, and then eventually crowning a champion, but who are the real contenders in 2020? And so, I did a little bit of research, actually. I, I did some research on the past nine champions since 2010. Yeah, no, since 2009, I guess. But but yeah, since 2010, 8 of 10 champs have been top 11 in both adjusted offensive efficiency and adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Kempom. And the only two con- exceptions to that were UConn in both 2014 and in 2011, the, the Shabazz Napier and the Kemba Walker years. And those were both kind of uh, weird runs yeah. that got in there. So they weren't necessarily powerhouses yeah. going into the, the bracket. So basically, unless you have a ridiculously talented offensive team like that Kemba Walker, Shabazz yeah. Napier, you need to play, be able to play good defense too. You need to be well-balanced on both ends. Yeah, you really need to be elite on, on both ends. So that that's something that I think you should look at when filling out your bracket this year. And again, this is going to be a weird year. There's probably going to be a lot of upsets. There's been a lot of upsets up to this point in the year. So it's there's really no talent. It's it's impossible to predict this stuff. There's a reason no one's ever gotten a perfect bracket. But another another thing that's been pretty constant throughout champions in the past decade, there's usually not more than one freshman of their top five producers. The exceptions to this rule are teams with really elite freshman classes. Duke in 2016, they won over Wisconsin. And then Kentucky in 2012, that was the Anthony Davis year that they were just amazing. So those were loaded freshman classes, like, all time, and there's not really one this year. So I'm not – I mean, I don't know. There's not really a freshman class outside of Memphis, mm-hmm. which now isn't even that good because yeah. they lost Wiseman. But That's one of the reasons, I think, that makes it so tough to predict this year, especially because normally in college basketball you have a couple dominant classes, but this year it's really all open. Some freshmen have underperformed, some have overperformed, but in terms of a full freshman class – I mean, there's really nobody that pops out. Yeah, the the only one I can think of is really Duke, and their their level of freshman play isn't as high as it usually is. Yeah, and in, in the past I, few years, I, I would agree with that. I'd say Duke is probably probably the best freshman class yeah. at this point in the season. Like so Kentucky's far. not as good as usual. I mean, Memphis we said Duke's not very good, and there's just kind of good freshmen kind of littered around those top twenty five teams, but mm-hmm. none really that are that great. Other than the uh, the Duke one, I think is pretty good. So with that, according to those two patterns, the team that really fits that mold of 
what's been a constant success of these champions is Kansas. And this is a team that I've been pretty high on most of the year. But uh, Kansas right now, I think is I think they're actually ninth in offense in Ken Palm. They, they've been moving around a little bit, and they're either second or first in defense. So they're elite on both sides of the ball, and they don't really have any freshmen that are like big contributors. So they have a lot of upperclassmen, and uh, Devon Dotson's a sophomore, but he's shown he's more which, than a sophomore. Which could be a good thing, having all those upperclassmen, right? Yeah. No, you need a little bit of youth, a little bit of guy that doesn't know what he doesn't know, maybe. And, and you have a coach also who's done it before, and that's also usually a constant other than like Kevin Ollie. All these coaches are guys that have had lots of success and then and maybe Tony Bennett also, even though he has been successful, he wasn't he hadn't been to the final four yet and then won it last year. And a guy like Bill Self's been to I don't know how many final fours and has won it I think only once, but he, he has been very close many times. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that front. I definitely value experience above everything else when I'm choosing teams to make deep runs in my bracket because there will be times in the tournament when nobody can hit a shot or the refs are calling fouls on every other play, and senior leadership in those situations is crucial. That's why I do really like this Louisville team. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan Wara as that leader. I also really like Gonzaga. Killian Tilly is back. Corey Kispert, both those guys are leading the team. And Auburn as well. Samir Doughty, <laughs> as I already mentioned, and Javon McCormick, both upperclassmen guards. Even Baylor, I think, has some strong upperclassmen. All four of these teams, to me, Baylor, Louisville, Gonzaga, and Auburn, they all have the best shot to cut down the nets. They certainly aren't playing the best basketball right now by any means, but mm. in March, you do really just need a couple seniors that can hit shots and give your team some confidence, and I think they provide that. Yeah, exactly, and kind of going back to the offensive defensive efficiency with those teams, the only other team actually that is top 11 in both offense and defense as of right now is Duke, which we've both kind of had our reservations on Duke. But you mentioned Baylor. They're not in the top 11, but they're 16th in offense, which is pretty close, and they're fourth in defense. So they pretty much, I don't think they really play any freshmen. Mm-hmm. A team like Louisville, you said, is 19th in offense and then 16th in defense, so they're also right there. And they're also, like you mentioned, primarily upperclassmen, guys with a lot of experience. And then Michigan State is in their team. They're 12th in offense and 20th in defense, so they're kind of right in that group also. So those are the teams that I would look, as far as if you trust the Kempom Bible, like the guy that's been right a lot of times, and a lot of the teams that win it are usually his one or two top teams going into the the bracket. Mm -hmm. And I think those are five teams you can kind of look at and kind of put put your money on if you're, you're a betting man. Yeah. Maybe we can we can we can take this a step further. If you had to put money out of those five teams right now, who would you pick? I don't have the odds in front of me, but it's definitely Kansas. I think everything's pointing to this being a Kansas year. As far as I don't know, like the there, there's enough for them to play for. They had the whole Adidas scandal before the year. The FBI is kind of breathing down their necks. They kind of want to prove themselves. They they have the nobody believes in us. They're out to get us kind of mentality, and they also have an All-American in Devon Dotson and maybe the most dominant big man in Yudoka Azebuke. Yeah. Again, they do have their problems. Their three-point shooting is a little shaky, but a guy like Isaiah Moss has really been starting to come on a little more, and if he could be a reliable knockdown shooter from deep, this is a team that's going to make a Final Four, and I think it's going to be cutting down the nets. Yeah. I like that analysis. I also think that people are sleeping on Gonzaga a little bit because they're a team that hasn't really had any bad losses this year. They're well, not. they lost to Michigan. Eh. My, oh, wait, eh. On. My, my notes here are saying that... It's a Power 5 conference team, though. Michigan was what, once ranked fourth in the nation this year. Is that 
That can't that can't be right. I mean, college basketball, <laughs> man. <laughs> but Michigan's a team that is, you know, they obviously started out high, but they're power five teams. Yeah, no, no, they're still a good team. I'm 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 just playing. Yeah, so Gonzaga, I think that's why people are sleeping on them because of that one loss, maybe. And they're a team. They've got four or five guys that can really score, and that's a pretty well balanced offense that they have over there. I don't know. I just feel like they're not getting the recognition that they really deserve. Yeah, I agree. The part of the problem with that is playing in the WCC. Everyone kind of forgets about them once it goes into conference play. Yeah. But they did a good job of playing a bunch of really quality non-conference mm-hmm. opponents. Yeah, one of the reservations I do have about this Gonzaga team is while they are 1-2 in offense, at least they've been consistently, them and Dayton have been the top two. They're, I think, only around 40th in defensive efficiency, which is a bit of a problem. So maybe if they run to a really high-scoring team that can just rain in threes they and they can't stop them and they have a slower offensive game, they could be in trouble and get bounced maybe in the Sweet 16 or Elite 8. Yeah, I mean, when Gonzaga played UW, I remember that game. The Huskies had a pretty easy time scoring on the Zags' defense. Uh, I I still think that their offense can really carry them, though. That, that's tough to make the UW offense look good. I know. I'm looking at, yeah, we had 76 points, which is probably one of our season highs, right? Yeah, seriously. At least against a good, competent team. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just think that I'm going to have, I know personally, I'm going to have Gonzaga going pretty deep in my bracket. Yeah. And yeah, they, they are, pro- I mean, they're number two right now in the nation. They're one of the teams that I think a lot of people are going to lean on. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying based on Ken Palm's Bible. Sure. And I'm following that. They're not a team that with those type of splits and offensive defense, they're not a consistent team that's going to win it at all. But again, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's why they play the game. True. It doesn't all happen on Ken Palm. If it did, this would be a very boring show. True. And maybe they can pick up their defense late in the season. We'll see what happens. All right, switching from teams at the top of the brackets to teams that may be looking into getting into the bracket. Yeah, some bubble teams. Your UNC Tar Heels had a pretty big win. People may have missed this. It was on Monday, and they actually got a win at NC State, and that's actually going to be a quad one win, most likely. Uh, a quad one win is either a top 25 win at home, a top 50 win on neutral court, or top 75 on the road. NC State's probably going to be a top 75 team when it's all said and done. So that's going to be a quad one win. That's your second, I believe. Yeah. Because you guys also beat Oregon, which is a very quality win. Yeah, I don't know how, how that tr- happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's Cole Anthony, like, but... It was like the, what, the third place game in Atlanta. So it's like, it's yeah. one where like it, it doesn't really matter, but it turns out that was a huge win for you guys. So yeah. I'll kind of throw the reins over to you. It's, what's well, the it's, what's the feel around yeah. Tar Heel Nation right now? Yeah, people in Chapel Hill are, we're kind of hanging on by a thread at this point. It's been a really good week for us, especially after the past couple games losing to Clemson was horrific but we we returned pretty strong beating that uh who did we beat freaking Miami and Miami we lost to Pittsburgh beat Miami yeah Uh, and then now NC State NC State and then we played Boston College this Saturday which should be another win you would think yeah (laughs) big news from that too is we're apparently getting Cole Anthony back for that game I heard inside Carolina had the scoop yep and he made the little IG post uh with just a emoji smiley face I'm coming back (laughs) never say that you always have to keep the fans wondering yeah but hopefully that's what he means and, and even if he doesn't come back in this one game, it sounds like he's right on the brink, and you're really going to need him. You guys play Florida State. Yep. Uh, I think it's on Monday mm-hmm. of next week. It's on Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. But 
like, obviously you want him in this Boston College game Definitely. to kind of get his feet wet, Definitely. get back into the flow of the game. Definitely, because it's not going to be easy to get back into the flow of things. No, and especially, especially after... if you have to go against Florida State. That's and I think it's at Florida State also. So. Yeah, that's not going to be an easy game, even with Cole Anthony, obviously. But for the for the amount of time that he's missed, a couple months of the season, that's big time that he's not going to be able to get back. I'm just hoping his talent will be able to carry us into the tournament. We're going to have to beat Florida State and Duke, probably. We're yeah. going to have to win... Because we we put Florida State, Duke twice, and Louisville. Yeah. So I think we'll probably have to win three out of those five games to get into the tournament. Yeah. At well, least. Yeah. You also you know? so you have it's at Louisville, and then you got Duke both at home in a way, yeah. and then you have at Florida State. Mm-hmm. So the, those I think are the four big ones. You also I think have NC State at home, mm-hmm. who's a pretty high level team. Probably play Syracuse, and they're also who's kind of been surging lately. Yeah. So those are going to be really important ones and. Yeah, like you said, winning, I think, three of those games, like those higher-profile games. Yeah. I think if you get two of those quad one games, mm-hmm. which are the the four we mentioned, I think you're really close. Cause I also think a team like Carolina is going to get the benefit of the doubt over another team that maybe has an equal yeah. resume because, A, it's Carolina. And, and B, if Cole blue, Anthony and B, is playing well, and people Cole will Anthony want to see them well in the tournament. And also that's an excuse for the struggles. Is like, Okay, we didn't have our best player for these whatever 10 15 games and that's why we went through this slump and now we've been playing good we got these big wins exactly i'm i'm assuming they get the nod over someone like virginia tech or something like that Mm -hmm. that's kind of just been okay all season and it would be nice to win a couple games in the acc tournament too that's another opportunity for us to get some you know important wins but Mm -hmm. we'll see it's kind of it'll be a pretty interesting the interesting thing to follow as the season dies down just just a fun story it's still kind of you know, out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. But with Cole Anthony coming back, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely put more money on Carolina making the tournament as of right now as opposed to, like, Washington. Really? <laughs> Which isn't saying much because Washington's yeah. chances are pretty dashed. But yeah. it didn't seem like that a month ago at all. It didn't seem like that. It was going to be even close to the realm of possibilities. And yeah. another team, uh, we won't spend too much time, but Virginia winning at, or it was at home against Florida State. Mm-hmm. That, that was This was on Tuesday, I believe. Yeah. That's a huge win for them because they were kind of a bubble team also. So yeah. it seems like the ACC, those Blue Bloods are kind of in an upswing now yeah. a little bit. A little we'll, bit. We'll see if it keeps going that way or it's kind of just a uh, just part a of the wave. Just a blip on the radar. Yeah, just a blip. We'll see what but, happens. But, yeah, that's, those are two big wins for two of the top one seeds last yep. year. So we'll see if I'm just one excited or both of them see, can get in. Yeah, I'm just excited to see Cole Anthony back, man. He's been out for so long, and Carolina fans just need something to kind of yeah. grasp onto. And he could be the face of college basketball. Really, nobody has mm-hmm. really established themselves as that guy. Yeah, Obviously, it's probably Peyton Pritchard <laughs> right yeah, now. It's bad face to have as the, as the college <laughs> basketball. But Peyton Pritchard, Marcus Howard, maybe Miles Powell. Luca Garza, Obi Toppin, that, that, those five are probably your yeah. your All Americans right now. Yeah, maybe a guy like Cassius Winston kind of sneaks in there. But mm-hmm. as far as face, none of those guys scream star. As far as like yeah. that, that, that's and, and the thing Cole, people like yeah, is and the Cole freshman. Anthony's an outspoken guy too. Yeah. He's someone who can you know play to, play up to the media, Sports yeah. Center, a guy that Sports Center would want to talk about. And he's out of blue blood also, and exactly. Like Hold I think a guy like I think. The only really braggadocious guy of the, of those five is Miles Powell, but he's at Seton Hall, which is a storied history, but not as much recently. And yeah, it's not necessarily your typical blue blood, but he he's also he's got the swagger, he's got the confidence. I love him, but a guy like Cole Anthony really could take the college basketball world by storm if he 
comes back and he drops 30 and you guys win at Florida State or something like that. That could be a huge one. Yeah, and he really hasn't had a bad game at Carolina. Like, he's played four or five games and he's scored 20 points (laughs) in every one of them. Small sample size, of course, non-conference schedule, but he's a guy that can pull up from three. He can drive the basketball. You know, who knows? Maybe maybe he can carry us to the tournament. Yeah, exactly. You got anything else in your Tar Heels? Any any guys to look for through the uh, through the back half of the season here? <sighs> Just Cole Anthony, man. Yeah. Really, without him, we're we're kind of nothing. We're trying to play as a team right now, and we're doing a good job of playing team basketball. I think Roy Williams has done a really good job with the group that he has, but the addition of Cole Anthony is kind of he's the guy that needs mm-hmm. to run our offense for us. Yeah, that's crazy. Like just a few. Weeks ago, we were talking about Roy Williams is like the worst team he's ever had. He's crying in the presser, and now it's like, all right, we got a little bit of life, and we'll see if they can do something with We've it. We've got momentum. Definitely. All right, we're gonna. There wasn't a lot of like really high profile games this last week. Uh, the one ranked matchup was number eighteen at number fifteen Maryland. Uh, Maryland went on to win this game by ten points. It, yeah. So I mean, we we should talk about it a little bit because it was the only ranked matchup, and the story of this game was. Luca Garza, obviously big man on Iowa, who's going to be for probably first-team All-American. He was kind of in foul trouble the most of the first half. He picked up two fouls within the first five minutes, and it seemed like Iowa was going to kind of like, all right, kind of fall off the wagon, and, and Maryland was just going to kind of run away with it. But they stuck with it throughout the first half. They are hitting big threes, and they really had no business being in that game on the road. We know how good Maryland is in that in that home arena. And they kind of stuck with them. And Luca Garza, they were trying to kind of get back in the game in the second half, and they couldn't quite get over the hump. And it was partially because of his foul trouble. They they had a really tough time getting Maryland off of possessions. They, they, they had a tough time getting those defensive rebounds. And if you don't have Garza in there, who's your big center and your best player, that, that's a big that's going to be a big problem for you. So I don't know what you saw out of that game. Any, any takeaways you had? I was happy Maryland was able to come out with that win because the last time they played, I think on January 10th, Iowa beat Maryland by 18, and mm-hmm. it wasn't ever close. But in this game, Cowan and Maryland kind of elevated. They stepped up a little bit. It was good to see from them. They're still a middle-tier team for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not really as excited about the group of guys that they have maybe as a Maryland fan or someone that really is following the Big Ten, but I still think that they they and Iowa are kind of a representation of how strong the Big Ten is this year. I didn't really come out of this game too much more impressed with Maryland than I usually was going into it because we know they're a really good home team. And, I, again, their road games are where the, the problems lie. I think they're only 2-4 and four on the road. Their only really good road win was at Indiana, who, who was a solid Big Ten team. But besides that, they really struggled on the road, and I want to see them get a big, high, high marquee road win before yeah. I really consider them in that next level. But... Iowa. Road wins, sorry to yeah. interrupt you, but road no, wins in the Big Ten have been impossible to come Seriously. back this year. Yeah, it's it's all, I mean, because those teams are so close. And I don't know, for me, it's like, I I came out pretty impressed with Iowa in this one. They they always are kind of that, Fran McCaffrey really harps on offense and their, their emotions and their shooters. And even without a guy like Luka Garza out there, they could still get a lot of points. Toussaint is their young guard for them that was lights out in that He's a game. Stud too. Yeah, he was so good. He he was just getting to the hoop when they needed buckets. The the weird part is a guy Jordan Bohannon who was supposed to be their best player this year. He was kind of having hip problems through the first I don't know month or month and a half of the season. Then he actually decided to get a surgery and cut off his whole season from there. So 
that if he was on this team and he was healthy, this would be a top 10 team, no doubt, especially with the way Luka, Luka Garza has been playing. I think the Big Ten, they could possibly get 10 teams in the tournament this year. They're that they're that At deep least. of a conference. Can, uh, Lenardi had 12 in his last bracketology. Really? Everyone except for <laughs> Nebraska and Northwestern. Also, can we talk about this? I just realized the Big Ten doesn't have 10 teams no, in the conference. No, it's got 14. What is up with that? And the, the Big 12 has 10 teams. What is up with that? What's what's the deal? When the Pac-12 got two two more teams, yeah. did it change from Pac-10 to 12? A Big Ten just. I decided. think I think it'd be too confusing to switch it because the Big 12 would be the Big Ten now, and that would be exactly. they got to change their logos and everything. They would literally flip flop. The Big Ten would be the Big 12, and the Big 12 would be the Big Ten. Well, they're Big 14 technically because oh, they have the 14. Big Ten is 14. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah I know I can it's tough to make heads or tails of it, but. It's it's been set in stone. I don't think it's yeah. ever going to change at this point. But yeah, it, it does not make any sense at so all. So the creativity there with naming just big <laughs> and then the number after yeah. Big East, <laughs> Big East, Big Ten, Big yeah. Twelve. The Pac Twelve is the only one that kind of deviated, and the ACC. Yeah, Big Sky also. Big Sky. <laughs> A lot of good teams coming from there. Yeah, SEC also. Whatever. We're not going to get into the the semantics of. <laughs> yeah. The but origin. yeah, that I agree. That is that is really dumb. But this Iowa team. If they can keep Luka Garza healthy and out of foul trouble in games, they have the offense to like make a deep run, I think. Their defense has its problems, but they kind of remind me a little bit of, I mean, not, not the same way. They don't have the same play style, but a team like Auburn last year that made a Final Four run, as I think they were a five seed, and it was solely because their offense, they were a good defensive team also, but their offense was top ten. And this Iowa team, I think, could make a similar run because... Like, I mean, I'm talking about Gonzaga's defensive troubles earlier. I think if these teams run into each other, there's a world where Iowa, even if they're like a seven seed or something like that, or, I don't know, like a six seed, I think they could just blitz Gonzaga and just put, I don't know, 90 points on them and just do do just enough to kind of outscore them. They, they, they seem to have the firepower. Yeah, and there's so many teams like that too. Seriously. Yeah. It just is so hard to to guess at this point in the year who's going to make a run in March. Yeah. I really just have nothing. I yeah. don't know. It, I I'm I think I'm going to really trust we kind of talked about experience also. Yeah. Ken Palm, I think is a good one. I think I'm going to be doing the same thing with experience. And also just who's being who's hot at the time. Also I think it's going to be a really and that those are I mean those aren't I'm not reinventing the wheel with those takes. I think that those are pretty universal, but I think those three are going to be really important this year's not getting too hung up on a team that was number one uh, in the middle of the year versus a yep. team that's been playing good right now. Because, like, if Baylor, I like Baylor, I think they're a good team. If they start to kind of, like, mm-hmm. slump off a little bit, they could be out in the second round, and I wouldn't be too surprised. Yeah. If they're down to, like, a three seed, like, I, I wouldn't put money on them. Yeah, and it's important, like we said, the teams that are hot at the moment. So when you're looking at the records, make sure not to just look at the overall, but look at the last 10 games. Seriously. And what that record is, because that's way more important than their overall really it doesn't matter how they were playing in january in november december it matters how they're playing in march so yeah i mean they got a team like butler right now like they they kind of had some troubles and now they're yeah they're kind of coming back a little bit but it it changes like there's a team that's a team that was awesome throughout 90 percent of the season so far and then really started to struggle recently and we'll see if they kind of get back together and back Mm -hmm. up to that top 10 range but yeah, it, it it can really change in a matter of a week, and it and you kind of want to see that consistency and throughout some the season. Team, some teams they just hit their ceiling; they really just can't get any better. While other teams they have the talent that's improving over the course of the year, 
and that's what separates them. And some teams leapfrog others. It's kind of yeah. just what happens every season. It's called the Kentucky method, <laughs> just slowly getting better all yep. year. Hey, they're getting better now. Yeah, they're kind of doing their thing still. All right, I think we're good on this, so yep. we're gonna jump into a little bit of a draft spotlight. This is a new segment, so. On Mondays, we like to bring on a, uh, another writer and do meet the writer. So to fill that time on our Friday shows, we're going to do a draft spotlight. Every week, we're going to have a new guy that we kind of break down what they're doing good, what they're doing bad, some of their stats, and where they could maybe end up in the draft and what teams to, to look for. So are we going to pick one out of, it looks like we've got three guys here we're going to spotlight. Yeah, are I was thinking. Pick I was thinking one to be the highest draft pick? Or? Uh, I was thinking we'd start with Obi Toppin. Okay. And this do you want to just go through the list of names? Yeah, sure. Okay. I was going to start with Isaiah Stewart, but if yeah. you got something to say about Obi, you can start with that. Yeah, so I actually wrote down quite a bit on Obi Toppin. Okay. So I just kind of want to give the, the basic, his stats and whatever his body. Sure. Like, he's, so he's six foot nine, which is very nice height. He's 220 pounds, and he's a sophomore forward out of Dayton. A Dayton team that's currently ranked seventh in the nation and is 19-2 and two in the season. He's averaging 19.8 points, so just a shade under 20 eight rebounds, and a little over two assists per game. And his shooting splits are 63% from the field, 34% from three, and 72% on the free throw line. So he really kind of does it all. I think that's the thing to think about a guy like Obi Toppin. It's kind of hard to talk about what he does good because he does everything good. It seems like he does everything on the court. He's a guy, he's got the size of a power forward, but can really guard one through five, I think. He might have trouble with like bigger centers like Yudoka Azebuke like we saw in Maui, but he he can he's capable of holding his own everywhere. He's He can protect the rim, and yeah, he can guard down the perimeter also. He's probably going to be an All-American first-teamer, and yeah, he's just, I mean, I don't know. He's almost boring how good he is at everything, so it's like he kind of turns the ball over a little bit. He could improve his shooting a little bit from deep, but it's like, I, I mean, I don't really know what else you want, and his athleticism is next level. He can jump out of the gym, and he's just, yeah, he, I mean, he's fun to watch. If you haven't watched him yet, definitely turn on the Dayton game. Yeah, he had a dunk this past yeah, week. Yeah, against Duquesne, and it was a putback, and it was insane. It was. <laughs> and he's a guy that's, he really fits the NBA mold mm-hmm. because he's he's versatile. He can step back and shoot. He can also bang down low with, with other bigger guys. He really can do everything for an NBA team, and I think that's going to, elevate his NBA stock a little bit too yeah no he can yeah his his versatility like you said is he could potentially play a small ball five like I don't know if I would love to play him small ball five but I think he's capable of doing that but he could also ship down and play the three and just be like a perimeter guy mm-hmm. if you need him to so yeah he's yeah he could do anything and that's what makes him so valuable and I think in the mock draft I see him going even as high as the top five in some places, which is crazy because he probably wasn't even on a lot of boards going into this year. Yeah. But his stock has rose like crazy. And yeah, so I think like, the 4-5 range mm-hmm. could be a good one for him. Some teams that could look for him are the Cavaliers. They're gonna they're kind of a struggling team. The Timberwolves maybe got to put next to Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. And the Wizards also kind of looking for a star to go alongside Bradley mm-hmm. Beal. If I had to compare him to one NBA player, it would probably be Miles Bridges, if you remember him. Very similar body type, very similar. Both are very versatile, can drive, can also get rebounds and get putbacks. Both have insane jumps, can <laughs> leap out of the gym. I had, I had two NBA comps for me, and that was actually one of them. Really? The other I one was uh, yeah, exactly. The other one was Aaron Gordon mm. on the Magic. He's out of Arizona. You might be thinking that he hasn't been great, Aaron Gordon. He hasn't really lived up to his ceiling, but when he was coming out of Arizona— he Oof. was 
awesome. Like he was, he was so good. In college. And I don't think he quite reached his ceiling, and I think that's where a guy like Toppin might might reach that ceiling and be a little better and be that that all star kind of superstar level maybe. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he was. I mean, Aaron Gordon's. Gordon's he might be the best player in college if he was still in it this year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think he's a few years removed from that. But well, if if he yeah. was if he was like seven years, if days, he was like, I mean, yeah. him and Pritchard were probably the same class, right? <laughs> Pritchard's been there for as long as Gordon's been in the NBA. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, yeah, Gordon was like the fourth pick in the draft, so it looks like Toppin's kind of. Uh, maybe in that same spot, but all right, let's yeah. go on. Go on to your guy. You got Isaiah Stewart. Oh, I was actually gonna save him for last now because okay. I got some stats on Anthony Edwards. Oh, you want to uh, go for j- it? Just the season stats. He's averaging 19 points a game, 4.7 rebounds, three assists, shooting 40 percent from the field. He's only shooting around 30, 35 percent from three. So again, he's a freshman. He's still got to develop that jump shot. But from what we've seen from him so far, he's gonna be a top five draft pick. Man, he's yeah. legit. He, and th- yeah, this is like kind of the problem with this year is there's not really a guy that's really stood out as the top guy. It sounds like it's going to be between him, Wiseman, and maybe Lamella Ball. Mm-hmm. But all three of those guys kind of like have weird trajectories right now yeah. because Lamella Ball is in Australia. Wiseman only played 10 games and, and he's and, not going to play anymore. And Anthony Edwards is playing for Georgia. Yeah, and Anthony Edwards is playing on a terrible team. So it's yeah, it's kind of tough to like. He's kind of got a very yeah, similar Ben age. Simmons draft stock mm-hmm. type thing where you it's very hard to tell as an NBA scout how he'll fit on a good team because he's on such a terrible team. Mm-hmm. He's taking the majority of the shots for that team as well. Again, he's the best player on the court at all times, but he's playing for Georgia. Yeah. So he's really not going to have a chance to show himself on a bigger stage. Yeah, I think one kind of underrated thing about Anthony Edwards is how big he is. I think he... He's like he's built like a like a fullback almost like like kind of like Derrick Henry. Or I would I would be interested to see how they kind of stand side by side. But he he's not like the Zion kind of like huge like guy. But he's just he's top heavy. He's not he's a he's a shooting guard. But he he can he can play on ball also mm-hmm. a little bit. He he can kind of do it all on the, on the guard yeah. play. But he he's just electric man for how big he is and how athletic he is. He he's one of those freaking nature guys. Yeah. Very streaky player, too. Definitely. Can just catch fire in a game and take over at any point, really. Yeah. I think because he's a freshman, he's a little bit, you know, cautious about going and getting rebounds and kind of banging down low. So I think that's something that he can improve on, and he probably will have to do that if he's going to play in the NBA at a high level mm-hmm. because he is so big. He's got such a strong body that he's going to be able to just out-muscle guys that are guarding him. And he should be doing that in college right now, actually. Yeah, this guy, a, a comp I have for him is kind of a Victor Oladipo, another Tom Crean guy. I think he's a little bigger than Oladipo, but mm-hmm. he's kind of got that same athleticism and versatility from the from the two guard. Yeah, I'm trying to think about guys. Uh, he's 6'5", right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Hmm. He's, he reminds me of uh, a little bit of Malik Monk. Just yeah. Kinda, I don't he's know. a little bigger. He's a little yeah. bigger. But I can see that. Just the streakiness from the three. Yeah, no, seriously. And then, so yeah, he's kind of going to be, looks like he's going to be a top three pick. It, most likely that something changes. So some teams, like maybe the Warriors want a guy like him. I think he since he's so big, and also Clay Thompson's kind of a tall guy, I think you could maybe run Curry, Thompson, and Edwards together. It's kind of like a three-guard lineup. and But they could yeah. still defend, like, one through three. So I don't I don't think that'd be a big problem, and yeah. So I mean, the Warriors are kind of in a, a nice spot for next year because they're yeah. they're having such a underperforming season because mm-hmm. of injuries and whatnot, and they're probably gonna get a top three picks. So. Yeah, and it's gonna be fun to see how this draft class shakes out because they really haven't been 
highly revered. Like they yeah. draft classes in the past with Zion, with you know who else? Uh, Malik Monk, Kobe White, all those yeah. guys. This year is very different because no freshmen, like we were saying, or no nobody's really There's making no a name. Zion. Yeah. yeah, no one's making a or John ja Morant for that matter. But I feel like this class is really deep to the point where they could kind of surprise NBA owners with how good they play out in five years just exactly. looking through the NBA. Yeah, it's going to be a weird draft. We're gonna, this is going to be one of those ones where we look back on in five years and say, how did this guy go number three and how did this guy go number 25 or something yeah. like that. And like, it's it's like the, I think it was 2013 draft. That was the year with uh, Anthony Bennett. Mm. And uh, <laughs> That was an infamous <laughs> and pick. Probably the worst, Depot. Maybe the worst pick of all time. Yeah, I mean, it, I would defend it only because there was it. It was kind of like this year where it was like there's not really a clear cut guy that should be the first pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Greg Oden comes to mind as a, as a Blazer fan. That's yeah. that one, but he, it's also the injury. he was injuries. But yeah. also, there's a guy like Kevin Durant right there who we easily could have taken. Also, so yeah. that's that's a tough one. Who but got taken before Ben? Was it Ben Simmons in that draft with Bennett? No, Bennett was the first pick. Yeah, but who who was picked after Bennett? Uh, it was Victor remember? Oladipo was next. So Oladipo, yeah. Okay. So that was a good one. I I don't remember it off the top of my head, but I yeah. remember like when you look back on Giannis was in that draft and he was like in the late twenties or something like that, Jeez. and then CJ McCollum, um, Blazer fan, obviously was like I think like uh, ninth or tenth or something Lehigh, like that. Lehigh legend, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I you, was watching. <laughs> I was watching them beat Duke last night. I was watching the rerun of that game. Actually. How often do you watch that? That and the Mercer one. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I'm having a bad day, I just kind of flick that on and watch CJ McCollum destroy Kyle Singler and those boys. It kind of uh, brings me joy. It's the yeah. little things in life. John. It's the little things, yeah. All right, you you have Isaiah Stewart also. You got a little bit about him. Yeah, he's obviously a workhorse mm-hmm. for the Huskies. Really, the offense revolves around him at this point in the season. He can get rebounds. He's a double-double machine. I think he will be the same way in the NBA. If I had to compare him to a player, just just the drive that he has, it would probably be Montrezl Harrell right now mm. for the Clippers. Yeah. Just the way that he works for every single possession. Every when, Whenever a shot goes up, he works his hardest to get position, to get the rebound. I really like that. I think the Huskies really need him this year. He's really the only thing <laughs> keeping this some. team together right now. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, you, you said Montrez Harrell. I definitely agree with that. I think his ceiling could be a guy like Draymond Green even. He's, he's kind of got that similar mold. A guy that plays really hard on the defensive end. And His ceiling, though. Yeah. Really? You think, you think Draymond Green is the highest? Draymond like, Green's an all-star and three-time NBA champion. Mm, I have I have my doubts about Draymond. Just, just the talent. He's on a good team, Josh. He's yeah. on the Warriors, man. Draymond Green is one. He's one of the best defenders in the past ten years. Uh, he's a great player for a great team. So that's obviously yeah, he's a, a great, great thing. But I'm just saying. Okay, his he was ceiling di- could be a little higher. If he was dis- okay, yeah. I think that's a reasonable ceiling. Yeah. Sorry, obviously, I just, I just I'm not yeah. the biggest Draymond guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Understandable. Not not many people are. <laughs> because if Draymond was on, you know, the Washington Wizards, would things be different? That's all I'm asking. I guess we'll never know. Uh, I want to see him go somewhere else and see. But also, so going back to Stewart now, he he's mm-hmm. also kind of showing off a little range recently. He started to hit some threes. That could help his stock a little bit if he proves he could consistently hit that from deep. Uh, like you said, he's a workhorse. He could rebound. He could score in the post. It's one of those lost arts of the NBA is post-scoring. doesn't seem like that really yeah. is a factor anymore. So I think him being able to, to step out and shoot the three will definitely help mm-hmm. him. It, it looks like he's probably going to be a lottery guy, maybe just yeah. outside the lottery. It's going to be in that in that teens area. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, 
he, he's a guy that can, especially if you're like an eight seed or like a seven seed or, or team right outside the playoffs, like you can inject him into your team and even mm-hmm. off the bench, he's going to make an impact. And I think, I think, I think he's a great guy if you're looking to kind of take that next level and looking for a guy that's really going to add more depth to your team. Yeah, and if we're, we were talking about ceilings and w- which out of these players has the most potential, I would have to say Anthony Edwards because the NBA is just a very guard-heavy league. Yeah. And like you said, the big man is kind of – the post move is a lost art in the NBA. You know, a big man is expected to have those in his arsenal – but when the game's on the line, the ball's not being fed into the post. No. The ball is being shot from the logo, like Dame Lillard a couple <laughs> nights ago. So I think Anthony Edwards has that same potential, and that's why I think he's the guy that's going to create the most buzz in five years from now, ten years from now when he's in the league. I'm certainly not counting Stewart or Toppin out, Yeah. because they both have the ability, obviously, to step yeah. out and hit shots, it, like it you were saying. It is a heavy league, though. And I, that's why I think just Edwards has the biggest upside. Uh, I mean, that's probably why he can be taken before both those guys also top, and we'll see. He could be in, move his way up into that range, but yeah. that, I, I hear you there. It's a, it's a guard-heavy league. And if Stewart and Toppin can step out and hit jumpers, too, that, that changes things a little bit because if they can do that on the line, Anthony Davis is kind of breaking that mold right now. Like yeah. He's taking big shots for the Lakers from three. They could be anything Anthony like Anthony Davis him. is another level. <laughs> True. He's a 6'10 guard with a 7-foot some wingspan, like... There's no you, there's no blocking him. If he yeah. wants to get a shot up, all he's got to do is elevate. And yeah. All right, you want to go into a little more, kind of wrap it up now. Sure. What, a, what have we got? A few odds and ends, just little things to kind of uh, touch on before before we head out. So I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, Coach K against the Cameron Crazies. Mm. You're the you're the Carolina guy. Do you have do you have any takes on uh, Coach K's outburst? Well, normally I would be a little bit more you know, negative towards it, but I actually liked it a lot. I actually really liked that Coach K stood up for his former assistant. So if you guys don't know the situation, I'll just give it to you really quickly. Jeff Capel, he used to be an assistant coach for Duke, and he now is coaching that Pittsburgh Panthers team, the head coach over there, so he's doing pretty well for himself. And it was a game at Duke, and I think it was only a couple people in the Duke student section. It was just kind of the front row were jeering jeering Coach Capel a little bit, mm-hmm. and Coach K caught wind of that, and I think he was at halftime. Yeah. He stormed over and got right <laughs> in the guy's faces who were doing it and basically just scolded them and yelled at him, saying, he's one of us. Why are you doing this? Like, you know, understandable that he would, he would do that. So I actually liked it. Yeah. I actually liked seeing that fire and kind of – I appreciated the fact that he stood up for his former assistant. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. I, I agree that I like that he's standing up for Capel, but also what the guys were saying was even there. So what happened was Capel got teed up, and I don't remember exactly the situation because I wasn't watching Duke Pitt, shocker. But, <laughs> and then they were saying, and this is the thing that the Cameron Crazies do a lot, is they say, they were saying, Jeff Capel, sit with us. Like, insinuating that he was going to get thrown out of the game, and then he could come sit in the student section with them because they were acknowledging that he was a Duke guy, and that they do this for when Duke guys come in, like, like if Grant Hill's at the game. And he's like just I don't know wherever in the stands that they'll say they'll spot him and say Grant Hill sit with us because they want a guy like a Duke guy to come sit with them will be more energy more fun stuff like that mm-hmm. and I think that's I mean obviously it wasn't it, it wasn't totally neutral in that regard because they want to beat Pitt but the, it was a little bit of a punch at, at Capel but it's also like 
I don't think it was yeah. that bad. It's not like no. they're like yelling out like anything too preposterous. It so. wasn't, and it's also a weird position to be in. Like your former coach is trying to beat you now, just a mm-hmm. year after he was sitting on your sideline. Yeah, he helped you get Zion Williamson also. Right. So. And what would you do in that situation if you were a fan? Like, imagine if Cameron Dollar started coaching Oregon, like your biggest rival. Yeah, well, Pitt's not their biggest rival, no, though. No, If Obviously. he started coaching, okay. like, Eastern uh, Washington. <laughs> sure, okay. Fine. I Eastern mean, Duke to uh, Pitt versus Washington. Eastern, Eastern Washington, Washington, let's go with that. <laughs> Just imagine that situation. Cable is obviously, you know, going to be, like, kind of mild-mannered about yeah. it. But the people in the stands are not going to really know what to do. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the one thing I take out of this is Coach K can get away with anything. Right? Like, we, we opened up... Th- one of our first pods, we were talking about yeah. who could get away with murder or not. Coach K, I said Jim Beheim because he, he's done it also. But Co- Coach K, like, that, like don't even bat an eye at that, which I think is kind of hilarious. Like, yeah. I've never seen that before. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Shashevsky, Bill, man. He's, yeah. got all, he's got all-time power. He's authoritarian. All right, from one maybe villain to another villain in the college basketball world, Brad Davison. He got him again, Brad Davison, with a nut punch. Yeah. I think it was on, uh, I think it was on McCaffrey, uh, Fran McCaffrey's kid. I forget his first name, but so yeah, it was it was pretty late in the game. It actually kind of cost them the game. He was going around the screen, put his arm out, and got right down below the belt. And yeah, I mean it was clearest day. He got flagrant for it, and now he's suspended for their next game, which is against Michigan State. And so yeah, a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a, a recurring thing for Davidson. You, you kind of. Uh, you kind of said he's like Grayson Allen a little bit, mm-hmm. and what I mean, he's a junior this year. But what are the odds that next year after he graduates, he he grad transfers to Duke? Like how how poetic would that be? How storybook? <laughs> I thought you were gonna say what are the odds he does it again? And I was gonna say a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Because players like that who let their emotions get the best of them, it's always a recurring thing. No matter how hard you try and fix Grayson Allen, he's going to keep on doing this. It's just kind of in his, it's hardwired into his head. It's in his DNA. There's nothing he can do about it. Anytime he gets hot, no matter how much yelling you do at him, no matter how much you try and control him, at some point he's going to slip up and make that mistake. And Brad Davison is the same way. So I have a question for you. Would you describe Davison as scrappy or dirty? I think he's actually more on the scrappy side than on the dirty side, on the scale. And Grayson Allen, would you say scrappy or dirty? Dirty. Grayson Allen's soft. (laughs) (laughs) Grayson Allen is a soft player. Brad Davison takes – I was watching a video last night because I hadn't heard of this guy, and he took five charges in one game. Yeah. That Grayson Allen would never – he could never do that. (laughs) He'd maybe trip five players in a game, but he wouldn't take five charges. That's all I'm saying. Uh, oh yeah, Sky, Sky Shout out to Grayson Allen, by the way. We kind of <laughs> shit on you a lot, but you're all right. <laughs> You'll be on the Duke sideline soon enough. <laughs> he will, joining John Shire and Nolan Smith. Oh, uh, yeah, but uh, a little bit on Wisconsin. Kobe King, their second-leading scorer, also decided he's possibly their best guard, decided to transfer just this past week. It was something like it was for personal reasons to, to help his kind of draft stock, his NBA yeah. prospectus. And he also said it was something like, it was going to be best for his love of the game. Basically yeah. saying he doesn't love the game when he's playing for Wisconsin and under Greg Gard. He was a guy that's kind of gotten some flack. And, uh, yeah, there, there's kind of, I don't Wait, know. Wait, you mean Ohio State? No, Wisconsin. Oh, I thought you were talking about Carton. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, just Kobe King real quick. and then, But, yeah, and then the other guy is DJ Carton. Yeah, he just who, transferred too. Right? Uh, he didn't transfer, but he's going to sit out. for He, he has some mental uh, health issues. 
So oh, he's gotcha. uh, he's going to be away from the team for a while. We're not sure when he's going to be back. It sounds like it could be a longer situation, but that, that's a big blow for Ohio State. That's one of their better and higher ceiling players, and he yeah. he's an, it's a good chance we don't even see him the rest of the year. Hopefully we do because he's a really exciting player. Yeah, and we were saying Ohio State's a team that could, in the Big Ten, make a comeback, but this definitely hinders their chances. Yeah, Very similar to the UW quad green situation. <laughs> you lose a key player that you're expecting to have, you're expecting him to kind of fuel your comeback. Without him, I don't know if they can do it now. All right, I think uh, you want to wrap it up, do a little games to watch for this weekend? Yeah, go ahead. All right, uh, a lot of like decent games, not a, s- a lot of super high-profile games like this past week. I'll just go through kind of the bigger ones because we're running a little late, but Texas Tech at Kansas. Uh, Tech just had a big win against West Virginia. If they can go into Lawrence and win, they're right back on the map. Kentucky at Auburn, this is the big one. These are two of the top three SEC teams. Uh, this is going to be a really exciting one. This one's at 3 p.m. I, I'm, this is the one I'm looking forward to the most. Utah State at San Diego State. This is a chance for San Diego State. They might lose this one. They're at home, so I still like them, but Utah State is the second best team in the in the Mountain West. And then on Sunday, Illinois at Iowa should be a pretty good one. That's at 10 a.m., so that'll be before the Super Bowl. You can watch that game and then get all your ducks in a row before the big game on, on Sunday night. So there you go. Yeah. One other thing to watch, Cole Anthony. The yeah. return oh, yeah, Cole Saturday, Anthony. midday. Hopefully Saturday. Carolina versus Boston College. If you had the chance to watch that or even just watch the highlights, hopefully he can do something memorable. Definitely. We'll who's your Who's your Super Bowl pick before we go? Uh, I, know the, I know the people are waiting. They they really want to hear what, what our takes are on this. <laughs> yeah, our NFL experts. Uh, <laughs> I'm going Kansas City Chiefs, man. Yeah, Chiefs also. I'm going close game, not particularly high scoring, but in in the high 20s and I, I think Chiefs. Yeah, they, they get it done. Patrick I'm hoping Holmes. for some better commercials this year, too, because last year's were trash. <laughs> but anyways, we appreciate you guys sticking with us. I know it's been a kind of long episode. I'm Caden Condor. I'm Josh Eddy. And thank you guys for listening. You can message us on Twitter at the Box Seat Podcast if you got anything to say. <laughs> Any Super Bowl picks, anything like that. And we will see you guys next time.